Well, we're slowly building our base of knowledge about chickens. Uh, today's program is exciting for us because we get a chance to visit with one of the folks who really understands how this works. Welcome to Longleaf Breeze, subsistence farmers using three simple principles, approaching but never reaching subsistence. It's got to be fun while we're doing it, and we don't make all misstatements. And now, Lee and Amanda Borden. Thanks, Adrian, and welcome to our podcast of June 12, 2014. We were indeed fortunate to attend um, a backyard chicken workshop in Dadeville last week, and we had a chance to hear from one of the presenters. We had, uh, first of all, uh, Dr. Joe Hess and also Dr. Ken Macklin, both of Auburn University's Department of Poultry Science. We caught up with Dr. Joe Hess right after the presentation and got some really interesting pointers from him. So I guess our first question for you is, what are some of the better breeds that people should consider if they're into backyard chickens? The best type of chicken for backyard chickens is called a dual-purpose breed. Lays a lot of eggs, but also is a relatively meaty bird if people want to eat the birds. One of the advantages of dual-purpose birds is they're very calm and they actually make pretty good pets. The most productive layers, like leg, uh, white leghorn hens, are very flighty and very aggressive birds and are not the best pets. But the, the dual-purpose birds lay a lot of eggs but are much better uh, family birds. And what are some of the specific breeds that you would recommend? Dual-purpose birds would include uh, uh, Rhode Island Reds, New Hampshires, um, Australorps, uh, Barred Rock, those sorts of birds. So th those are all uh, the very common types that you would find in a catalog, for instance, are, uh, are dual-purpose. We actually have some that are a cross between Americana and barred rock. Is mm -hmm. that a good combo? It is. Americana uh, comes originally across from the Aracana breed, just from South America. The Aracana breed did not lay a very big egg, but the Americanas lay a good-sized egg, and they're interesting colored, so, so they're a pretty good breed for that. Yeah, we've lost all our interesting color, I guess because of the breed. The, 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 the blend, yeah, we just so. have cream and sort of beige. dark, yeah, yeah dark beige, <laughs> kind of a mocha right. color egg. Well, I guess the other thing we'd like to know is um, in terms of getting started with raising chickens. If, if someone's just starting out, they've never owned a chicken before, um, what would you recommend the first step be? Well, most people now are pretty well connected on the Internet, so do some reading first. Uh, plan your coop, decide what you want to do if you want to raise birds for meat, if you want to raise birds for eggs, which is what most people do. How many birds do I want to have? And plan your coop accordingly. One thing to think of if you're going to have eggs is how many eggs your family likes to eat. Because if, if you have ten chickens, each chicken is going to lay four or five eggs a week. So you're going to end up with dozens and dozens of eggs you may or may not be able to use. And, and along those lines, uh, what about the length of how many years yeah, can I expect a given chicken to live and how long will it lay eggs? Chickens in captivity will live 10 years. 
there really only be productive egg layers for about two. So most people turn their flocks over about every two years if they want to get a lot of eggs. And that there'll be better, very good layers for the first year and not quite so good for the second year. You can go downhill from there. You made a point in our talk earlier about one of the best things you can do to keep your flock healthy is to have a period during which there are no chickens anywhere close. Most people don't want to do that, but, but to break disease cycle, and when you've got a bunch of chickens in one places, uh, place, disease comes along with that. So, you know, it may not be obvious disease. It may be something that's affecting them at a minor level, but that's certainly something that you need to break every couple of years. So if you can have a period of time where you have no chickens in your chicken coop, clean it out and let it cool down, then that will help you with the healthier birds over the years. And how long should that period be? It should be at least several months. Uh, for and, and when we talk about diseases like bacteria, we talk about a cooling down period, that the viability of those organisms decrease over time when there's no chickens and no moisture, things like that. So the longer you let it sit, the less viable those disease organisms are. Several months is a good... Uh, um, one month to several months is a good way to go. And does it matter what time of the year that might be? Could it be during the winter time, for example, it the could, downtime? It could be any time of the year. However, uh, sunlight is is good at destroying disease organisms. So hot summer, when when the sun is going to bake that that property and dry it out and desiccate all the disease organisms, will actually probably work better. If you're coop and your run are on the move where you're keeping them in tractors and they're getting a fresh spot all the time is the disease issue still a problem and if so anything particular you should do if you're doing that disease issue is always a problem um, when you've got a bunch of chickens there's things that come along with that but uh, if you have a chicken tractor where you're moving constantly that certainly uh, decreases the the disease risk. Um, some of the respiratory viruses that, that the birds may have normally or that may come in from sparrows and starlings that are sharing feeding and watering with the birds, that you don't necessarily get away from by moving it. But there's also a lot of diseases that are in the birds' uh, feces and things like that. And those, you're really doing a good job when you move the, the, the coop of, of uh, keeping them from building up and being a problem. Let's finish by asking you a sort of a global question. Dr. Hess's top five boners that people who make when they're getting started with chickens. People often call us and ask, they say their chickens are sick. Um, and, and generally if I talk to them, probably three quarters of the, uh, the time it's they're feeding the wrong feed. So. Uh, Offer a good quality feed that's appropriate to the birds. Start a grower up to five months, laying mash after, after five months, once they start laying. Uh, people feed the wrong feed. Don't feed a lot of, of uh, table scraps or scratch grains. Feed a commercial feed. That's one of the biggest things. People will add birds to their flock that they've gotten somewhere and they will introduce diseases to their flock from buying at a swap meet or something like that. That's a common problem. Uh, 
be well prepared for predators because predators will find your birds and, and get in. And you're going to keep losing birds until you've built your coop up enough that, that you'll keep them out. You might as well study on that beforehand. That's really only three, but those are three that come to mind. Well, that sounds like great advice, and we appreciate your being with us today, Dr. Hess. We enjoyed the presentation, and uh, we look forward to sharing this with more and more people. Uh, do you mind if we share the website on our where they could contact you? Absolutely. Uh, uh, lots of backyard producers contact us by calling us at the Poultry Science Department or just look us up on the web at Auburn University in the Poultry Science Department, and we'll... we'll uh, uh, we receive Twitter feeds or emails or talk to people on the phone. Excellent. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, it's interesting to hear the, our questions answered by an expert like Dr. Hess. And, and we've had a little chance to do some debriefing since then. What do you think? Well, I was really glad to have a chance to visit with him. Both Joe and Ken were knowledgeable. They were approachable. They were funny. It was just a, a wonderful, useful program. Um, but just a couple of things that popped up for us. One is they have a great video on their website about how an egg forms. Um, it's, I think it's called Virtual Chicken. So uh, there'll be a link to that on the website so you can go and take a look at it yourself. I, I promise you if you are using laying hens, you're going to want to see that, in, that uh, video. Because it tells you a lot about what's happening inside the hen's body while the she's getting ready to exactly. lay the it's fascinating egg. Stuff. <laughs> That's right. And of course, uh, we learned a lot from both Dr. Hess and Dr. Macklin about um, nutrition, about health for hens, and uh, of course, we everybody's now had a chance to hear the interview and get a, a flavor of of some of the information we got, but. One of the surprises for us that came out of that workshop was de determining exactly how much space is needed per hen when you have them in confinement of some kind, and which we do. Uh, we have a functionally a chicken tractor, but there's a coop and then there's a run. There's the indoor part and the outdoor part. The indoor part, the coop, uh, Dr. Hess was saying that we should have at least four to eight square feet per bird inside and our little coop isn't that large and it's supposed to be big enough for four hens that's right costco bills it as big enough for up to four hens but according to his standard it is not uh nearly big enough i guess i'm going to give us a slight buy on that because the ladies spend so little time in the coop they they go into the coop at night they go in when they need to lay. They go in when they want to check in with their feeder or waterer. But basically, they live in the run. So I, I understand that it's too small, and the next one we build, and we will build another, the next one we build will be larger per bird than that. Uh, but I'm not going to lose a lot of sleep about that. I think that you're group. right. They're fine. Although you said t this morning when you went out to let them into the run, at least one of them was really cackling as if, hey, let me out of here. I'm That's ready to right. get out they, to my run. I guess when they get up in the morning and, and I'm not there to open it up for them and let them out in the run, they start talking to me. That's right. And the run is plenty big because uh, the recommendation there was to be 5 to 10 square feet per bird. 
and we've got more than enough. It's a we've 60 got about 16 square feet per bird. Yeah, so, so they've got plenty of room. Good shape and I'd rather rather give them more rather than not enough space to run around. Which, among other things, means that if we have a day or two when we can't move the run, it's not a horrible thing because they've got enough space there. They can scratch and peck and pee and poop. Over right, a, a day or two without it being the same, because as Doctor Hess pointed out, with the chicken tractor, the way we're doing it, with the functional, you know, we're moving it every day, we do minimize the possibility of disease from their stepping in their fecal matter and getting into that. Exactly. So moving it around, it was nice to hear that we're doing the right thing in that regard. And the, you know, the other thing that was a surprise to me, well, I guess not a total surprise. I had heard numbers about what percentage of a hen's life was actually spent being able to produce eggs. But to hear it in such stark terms as, okay, she can live to be 10 years old, but you're only going to get two years of egg production. That's uh, an eye-opener. Of good egg production. Of consistent egg production, right. Uh, oh, yeah, that not to say can't go longer, but I'm seeing that we probably will have some time with some old hens who aren't laying anymore. I, a good I don't bit of expect time. we will. I expect we'll have some hens who depart this world. Yeah. I, I don't mean to keep old, unproductive hens around just because we want to be nice or because we love them so. I hope that's not difficult for you. Well, it's difficult, but I understand that. And that, that is actually a point that Dr. Hess made, is that, um, yes, chickens can be pets, but they're not dogs and cats. We can eat them. In fact, some people raise chickens. That's why you have dual-purpose birds. Some people do raise them to be meat. And um, they are not in the same category with your family dog and cat. And, and that is certainly, they're, they're um, a barnyard animal. They're, a, you know, a and livestock. A, a corollary of that, now that we know, okay, they're going to have a, a useful life of, about, of two years plus or minus, whatever happens. And if that's the case, then we get more relaxed about having some artificial light in the coop during the winter months to, to help their egg production continue. And it doesn't need to be a huge bright light. It can be a rather low-power uh, LED light bulb just to give them some light um, and extend that daytime for them by, you know, six, seven hours makes a huge difference in their production. That's right. That was some really good specific information that we um, received in the workshop itself is that um, it, Dr. Hess talked about the fact that stimulating with light, and, and Dr. Macklin too, for that matter, they both chimed in on that, that you know, you can, it's not bad for the hen. It's not going to wear their body out to do that. They gave us the numbers about how much light per day. Um, and so now that we know you're going to get two years either way, or as you said, maybe slightly more, why not go ahead and prolong the time during the year that you get eggs? Yeah, and we don't have a light set up in there yet. Uh, but, but we don't need it this time of year. We don't need it now because it's summertime, but uh, sometime during the next couple of months, we need to come up with that light and how we're going to power it. That's right. Even though there is no AC anywhere near where they're living. Uh, the other big aha for us is how little of their nutritional needs they're supplying by foraging in the run. That's right. Only 10% or so, um, which, you know, I guess 
I shouldn't be surprised when I see what's out there on the ground. They are maybe getting a few bugs and some weeds and that kind of thing. But basically, it's it's all coming down to the layer pellets, the layer mix. And um, so we and we are doing the right thing now. We're giving them that. <laughs> Even though it took us a while. Yes, we had. To, I think we confessed <laughs> on an earlier podcast that for some reason you got it in your head anyway that what they needed was scratch feed so they ate that for a while and then we found out and I love the parallel that Dr. Hess mentioned it's sort of like giving a child a whole bunch of snicker bar snickers bars and then saying now eat your meal you know <laughs> we've been giving them the chicken equivalent of snickers bars for about a month and and we've learned better now so they're getting regular layer crumbles and uh, that seems to be working just fine. And egg production has improved since yes. we went to the layer crumbles. And you've also, we've been more conscientious about consistently offering uh, the oyster shells every day. Now that we know, you know, that they're going to eat it when they need it, when they feel they need it. And so we, we noticed that their shells became thicker too. And they do tend to go for those oyster shells. So... Uh, it obviously is fulfilling a need that they have, and we're glad to do it. Um, just a quick little note about fermented feed. There's a lot of information on the Internet out there about fermented feed, and I decided, okay, I'll give it a try. And we did use fermented feed for about a week, week and a half. And in our experience, the ladies just didn't care for it as well. They ate the dry feed better than they ate the fermented feed. And we learned that there's no advantage to the fermented feed, really. There's no... Yeah, the, it's a mess. Mm -hmm. it, it takes more time, and it's supposed to be more appealing to the hens. That was not our experience. Uh, it may promote their gut health a little bit, but um, in my mind, I'd much rather they eat regularly, and, and, right. and they are eating regularly with the layer crumbles. Another response I have to what we learned in the presentation as well as in the interview is that um, our experience is completely consistent with uh, what Dr. Hess said about the, the temperament of barred rock. That's the only one we really have experience with, the barred rock Americana, but with the dual-purpose bird because um, they have been just very, they're not aggressive at all. They're very social. Seem to be happy with each other. And there is a little bit of cross-pecking going on, but certainly nothing that's life-threatening or health-threatening. No, no. So I, I think they're, these these ladies get along well together. And and with us, that, I mean, the point I was going to make too, and I think I might have mentioned it, the first week we had them when we did have them out on Veg Hill and they got to free range a bit, they and when I would be out there, they would come over to me, you know, as if I'm their mom or something. So that was sort of again, they weren't the least bit aggressive. They were the opposite. They were drawn to people. Oh yeah, and they always go toward us whenever we're out there because they've come to associate us with good things. That's right. Typically, we're bringing something yummy or some, you know, fresh layer crumbles or whatever. Uh, just a quick little aside: we had a one of our ladies develop a sneezing problem and um, I looked around and found a poultry illness flowchart that I consider to be an excellent resource. So I'm going to link to that on the show notes page. You said well. it's out of North Carolina? Is out, that right? out of North Carolina. And meanwhile, our, our sneezer, Imogene, seems to be doing better. Doing better, still not 100%. She's still a little weak. But, but every day is improving. 
So that was good to know. Thank you for being with us as we process some information we've recently gained about chickens and shared that with you today. We hope that you'll have a great weekend. Hope to see you next time. You've been listening to Longleaf Breeze with Lee and Amanda Borden. You can call the farm at 334-625-8682. Send email to letters at longleafbreeze.com. Our address is P.O. Box 780-446, Tallahassee, Alabama, 36078. Visit us at longleafbreeze.com to learn more about the farm, to browse our archive, and to look over our planting database. You can also read the daily farm log and check in with Lee and Amanda. That's longleafbreeze.com.